sometimes it's really easy to tell why someone's done so well in their career. Um, it, Steve's clarity of vision on this stuff is just on point. Um, we learned about his journey over the last 20 plus years at Nike and the North Face. We also learned about his approach to listening to the customers in a variety of different methods, as well as what it's like to work with some of the best athletes in the world. I mean, he's gotten to work with people that run two-hour marathons, as well as, you know, Kobe Bryant. So remember, if you like the show today, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everybody. Today, we are going to learn from one of the top CMOs of the world, Steve Lennar. Uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you for having me. And a uh, big shout out to Sandrine, who we just did a podcast with, for recommending you. Uh, she's, saying, she's saying your praises pretty, pretty highly. Uh, Sandrine is amazing. <laughs> Wait, how did, you, uh, how did you meet her? Um, I actually did a, um, a panel interview with, uh, with a school in New York. And through that school in New York, it was just a small audience, you know, 15 students. Uh, through that, you know, uh, audience, I got introduced to Sandrine and Sandrine and I have a lot in common, you know, coming from France, the South of France and, and some of, you know, what, what we've done. Uh, and so that's, that's how the connection was made. That's cool. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that you grew up there. Um, how long were you in France before you came to the U S I grew up in between Paris and a little Island, uh, called Corsica where Napoleon was born. That's just one of our claims fame over there uh and uh, i basically i went through uh, high school and uh, college in france and then got my mba in the u.s and after that started to travel around the world that's really cool that's uh gives you some unique perspective i think particularly i mean if you look at uh kind of fashion beauty lifestyle there's a lot of the, the best brands in the world have come out of come out of france um, well, for those that don't know you, right, um, you were, you are the CMO at the North Face and Global VP of Product Creation. Prior to that, you were at Nike for 21 years. I think you finished as the Global Vice President and GM of the running division. Is that correct? And correct, then yeah. and during that time, you tripled the business and then also had some hands in the Olympics as well, it sounds like, and really reviving that. Is that a, is that a good summary? Yeah, you know, that's a good summary. I've, I've had the opportunity to do many different, you know, uh, jobs and experience at Nike, but obviously the Olympics and the, and the running business was one of the, you know, were some of the key highlights. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, before we get into your background, I wanted to kind of take a minute to reflect. And I know we all talk about the pandemic, but I mean, it just keeps going. So there's, I think there's a reason to talk about it. Um, when you started at the North Face, you were less than a year before the pandemic hit. Talk me through the last 18 months. Like, what has it been like managing through that process? Because you're managing very large teams, very big budgets. It's a, uh, in a fast-moving environment. Talk me through what that was like the last, last year and a half. Yeah, well, you know, I think challenging uh, and interesting, you know, are two words that come to, uh, to mind. I think it, just to be, provide a little bit of context, the North Face moved their headquarters from Alameda in, uh, in California, in, you know, in the San Francisco, in the Bay Area, to Denver um, a few months before the pandemic hit. And with that, we had to recruit half of the team were new, new members that, uh, that were recruited you know, with that move. And, uh, and the other half came from, uh, from uh, 
Alameda, but were transplant. They were new to uh, the, the Colorado and the Denver area. Then, you know, the pandemic hit and everyone is asked to stay home and to work from home. Some of my teammates had been in the office for less than a week. So you had to not only onboard people uh, to a new company, to sometimes a new industry, but also completely pivot and, uh, and adapt to, you know, a situation that was very fluid. I think for us, what, you know, what I will remember of the pandemic is a real test to, you know, the, the company's mission and values. Uh, the North Face is all about, you know, enabling exploration for all in the outdoors. And um, obviously through the pandemic, the, you know, all of our values were t tested and, uh, and um, it was actually quite exciting to, to, uh, to make some bold moves on behalf of a $3 billion brand that was embraced by, uh, by the entire team immediately. I think there's a few that uh, obviously a lot of brands such as the North Face decided to uh, support first responders in mm -hmm. many ways. Mm -hmm. We you know, money, we did collaboration with partners like Supreme to raise you know, you know, funds. But one, another thing that we did is one of our athletes was a first responder and she stopped training. She's an, inc an elite climber. She stopped training to go back to the ICU. And at the time we we're like, Anna, why are you doing this? You know, and she was like, the ICU is getting overcrowded. You guys don't see it yet, but you know, my, my friends need my help. So I'm stopping my training. She was planning an expedition to go back to the ICU. And, and as a team, we quickly rallied and said, what could we do to help the, the medical and first responder community? And, and within 24 hours, we decided to treat first responders like our own family, our own athletes. So we basically uh, told first responders through word of mouth with one email that they would get a discount, athletes discount. And uh, we recruited and we had uh, the opportunity to serve over 1 million first responders in the U.S. Whoa. Through, uh, through and, and support them. And obviously for us also, it was an incredible opportunity to recruit new consumer in our ecosystem. And now they're, they're loyal members of the, the North Space Explore Pass family. So that was one example. I think another one was with all the civil unrest that we saw, we were the first brand to uh, boycott Facebook and Instagram, you know, at a time when we were not happy with how they were managing the platform. That was a pretty big, bold and risk move for us because we were relying on this platform quite a bit. And, you know, you know the history there. We, we were one of the, the first global brands. 5,000 other global brands joined the movement. Um, you know, we had over 15 billion impressions just on, on that move that allowed us to speak to our values. And more importantly, it, you know, it allowed us to get into a dialogue with Facebook to actually really work on meaningful progress, you know, for their platform, which, and we're really pleased with the progress that have been made. So these are a couple of examples of what the pandemic was, really lead with your values. And then on the team front, I think it was a rallying moment for existing teammates and new teammates to understand what, you know, the outdoors and what the North Face was about. Um, but uh, we also learned that uh, we spend way too much time on Zoom. So we, we created, <laughs> you know, explore, what we call Explore Days. So days, you know, days during the week, you know, uh, where people were not, you know, allowed to be on Zoom so they could do their, you know, their own work, you know, their work and frankly, get outside as well. Um, and frankly, the Zoom fatigue is not going away, unfortunately. So we constantly think about new ways to, uh, you know, pick up the phone, send an email and just, you know, try to live your life without just Zoom. <laughs>
I've definitely noticed it because, you know, all my readings used to be in person, right? Not, not on the computer. And I've noticed it with my eyes. Like it actually impacts like my vision. Um, like I'm just staring at the screen so much. For sure. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I'm glad that you guys are doing that. That's, <laughs> we probably need to do a little bit more of it. We've done the, we've kind of stuck with it and like, you know, cameras on the whole thing. But, uh, I think it might be time. I think it might be time to make some alterations there. I try to encourage phone calls as much as I can, for sure. Good old phone calls. You know, the other thing that worked for us is turn your camera when you want. You don't have to. Yeah. Because, uh, like, it, 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 you know, one of the feedback we got from our teammates is it's exhausting to feel like you're always on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think another thing that worked really well is twice we have two half days during the week yep. that are free day, free, free moments, no calls, no meetings. So that team can frankly organize uh, themselves, catch up because we found ourselves being in zoom for six to nine hours a day and then having to work later on to catch up on on your own emails. And quickly we felt like that was really not healthy for the lifestyle that we're, we're preaching. Uh, But it's, it's a discipline that I think we need to continue to work on as, uh, as we're not a hundred percent back. Uh, to, um, you know, to the office. Well, particularly in, you know, an environment and with a brand like you have, right? Going back to this idea of values, you know, the people that join a brand like the North Face, an outdoors brand, like they want to see people, they want to be active, they want to do things. They don't want to stare at a screen all day, every day, right? That's not just not in their DNA, I would imagine. And so, Absolutely. yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I'll tell you the what's interesting about the pandemic is I think it completely shifted the perception of having to be in the office in order to, to be efficient. And it allowed a lot of our teammates to actually work from anywhere in the U S and around the world. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, it's, it's led to a new way to empower what we call exploration or adventure, outdoor adventure. I had teammates working and still working from Europe, others working, you know, in Australia, uh, others working in, you know, remote places in the U S that, where their family are from, or also, frankly, where they, you know, there's the best powder in the wintertime or the best climbing or mountain biking in the summertime. And it's not affecting their performance at all. And I think it's really changing, you know, the approach to where you work versus where you live. And I think it's a really healthy, uh, you know, I would say conversation that uh, that, that happened. You know, I, I work from many different places. Uh, and, it, you know, and it, it worked pretty well. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i a huge fan of it. I think people talk about work-life balance and like kind of saying like, oh, it's they have to be separate, right? And I actually think they can be integrated, right? Like you can go on a beautiful hike in the morning and then you can take the call in the car, right? Like after, like you sit in the car and take your call after you've been out there. I mean, I we've spent the last year and a half going between, you know, my family's house, my wife's family's house, our house, you know, just kind of hopping between the locations and traveling and um, it can be challenging at times, but it's, it's the freedom. It's pretty fantastic. Um, Absolutely. so let's take a step back. Let's, let's go back to your time at Nike, right? So obviously that seems to have been, um, has to have been the most formative experience in your career. And I'm sure it feels like a bunch of different careers, right? Cause you were spending different times in different regions and different areas of business. So although it's under the same umbrella, like there's probably these mini careers, um, and I look, I took the time to look at kind of where Nike was when you started, which is about $10 billion in value up to where you left, which is 120 billion. And now I think it's up to 250 billion. 
Um, so I'd love to, you know, most people don't have the insight into what it looks like. What does that look like to have a brand that goes up 10x or 20x during the time that you're there? Um, what was it about Nike and the way that business was done internally that made that such a sustainable brand over time? Like what, from your observations, um, what do you think were the driving factors there? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Obviously, uh, I think I can take all the credit for the growth of Nike, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. It's, it's been quite a privilege to be part of such an incredible ride. And, and the ride was not smooth. You know, there were some, some bumps along the way. But I think for me, the, the, the key pillars that I would, you know, that I would highlight as making the, the, the Nike brand such a, a powerful and successful brand are, first, um, a very clear and focused strategy. Nike's approach is to enter a business only to become the best in that business. Mm. So it's about, you know, when I joined in 97, Nike was not doing soccer. They had just joined, you know, signed the, the you know, Brazil, um, um, you know, a national team, uh, you know, for the first time, not really serious soccer. It took them 15 years, but after 15 years, they became, you know, number one, you know, in, uh, in, in soccer. In this, you know, in the same token, I played a role in, you know, trying to be serious in the outdoors for a while, which was serious. And, and also the women's business was really, really small. I was actually one of the few leaders that got the opportunity to start the business mm -hmm. in Europe, in the U.S., and then globally, because it was mostly a male-dominated, you know, team sport company. Yep. And uh, another, another thing that was interesting is the lifestyle component. You know, the, the world fashion at Nike when I joined was a, the F word, was a bad word. Because <laughs> you just a sports company. And over time, the, the company and, and the leadership team, we, we, um, we showed that we could actually have deep rooted connection to the lifestyle side, you know, while still being authentic to the DNA of the brand. If you also think about from an international, uh, you know, standpoint, Nike spend a lot of time in <clears throat> investing in become local brand. So their efforts in Europe, I spent eight years in Europe with Nike in different leadership position there. They're focused in South America and in Asia, and particularly in China, where they invest in people, in time, and in resources to really, again, become a dominant, the dominant player in each of these markets. And I would say the, the last key pillars for me when I look at Nike is innovation. A core part of the Nike brand has been anchored in truly driving disrupting disruptive innovation. Um, that uh, as has propelled the growth of the company uh, in very uh, very successful way. So to me, these would be the the three key pillars. The fourth one is probably the most magical one: is team. Yeah, you know, I, I think a, a really fun and and strong entrepreneurial spirit at Nike, where you are empowered very quickly with big businesses to take calculated risk uh, in order to serve the consumer that uh, you were um, working for. And um, and to uh, you know the mission brand and that that I think was you know made the, the place you know very very fun place uh, to be uh, to to be working in. Yeah, that team becomes a really sustainable advantage over time, right? And I think it's part of the reason that you invest in a brand because obviously it helps you from a sales and marketing perspective, but from a recruiting perspective, being kind of beloved as an entity. Just helps you to get the best people. And then once you have that level of talent, people want to stick around. They want to bring their friends. They want to bring the people that they respect. Um, 
it's a huge advantage, huge underrated advantage. I don't think people pay enough attention to. Um, I totally. So let's talk about, I mean, I think two of the bigger pillars there for you, right. Were the women's movement and specifically, you know, the broader running movement that I think you were a big part of. And obviously the, the Olympics, right. I think the Olympics came first. So maybe we touch on that first. Um, give me a sense of, you know, when you started working there, what did that program look like? And then, like you said, I think that, you know, wanting to be number one in whatever it is that the company happens to do, I have to imagine drove a lot of the success there. So what was, uh, uh, where did it start and kind of, where did it finish for you, uh, on the Olympic side? Yeah. So, you know, maybe a little bit of background. Nike used to be centered around pillars of excellence. You had advertising, you had product and you had sales. They were three kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And when I joined the team and I came from proposition, I was what they called a shoe dog. Okay. I was making shoes. I used to work with, you know, product is a huge part of what I've always done at Nike. And, and of course, at the North Face overseeing the product creation teams as well. And uh, <clears throat> the Olympics was always looked at as an advertising moment for Nike. Uh, you know, some, uh, if you remember the Atlanta um, Games, um, there was a famous ad from Nike, you don't win silver, you lose gold. And to <laughs> me, when, when I looked at, you know, uh, when I decided to take over the Olympics, I actually pitched it to uh, the president at the time. And his point was like, why are you asking me about the Olympics in three years? Let's talk in two years from now. And I say, no, the whole point is let's use the Olympic as a stage to actually not only launch innovation that you can scale and make it a business opportunity, but also as a stage to actually engage consumers. Because what research would tell us is kids did not know when the Olympics would happen. They would only start caring, you know, like a week before the, the game and stop caring, you know, uh, you know, right after the games. And, you know, I, I took over during the, the Beijing Olympics and the preparation the massive party for China and for sports in China. So what we ended up doing is aligning the product innovation pipeline uh, in order to launch defining innovation for Nike through running and, and basketball at the time, mm -hmm. and also really celebrating the, the coming out party of sports in China. So that was the, the pivotal point. And from then on, we created a an Olympic-specific team and divisions to start thinking about the Olympics as a stage for brand and product activation. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I had the opportunity to lead that, you know, the Beijing Olympics and also the London Olympics, uh, you know, end-to-end -end, you know, with, with the team, which uh, led to some really fun experiences and uh, incredible, and incredible uh, product launches, you know, along the way. <laughs> well, I remember you joking in our last conversation about you know, thinking you were an athlete until you spent time with uh, the athletes inside the brands that you've been at. And I have to imagine that was the experience with all of the Olympic athletes. <laughs> well, you know, like uh, we were doing some testing, you know, right now, obviously working for the North Face, when you think about when you say you're an outdoors man and you like to ski or snowboard, uh, you know, you have to be very careful what you say because your teammates are skiers, you know, and, and, and mountain bikers. I remember following them going, oh, dear, I made a mistake. Why am I here? I do not belong on this slope right now, you know, and I thought I did. Uh, in, in, I think in the Olympics, what was interesting, we were doing some testing as we were launching and testing a new foam technology sooner at the time. And we had some, you know, some, you know, decathletes, some basketball players. And, and we were just 
in awe by their physical, you know, and athletic abilities. In doing in performing some of the most basic, you know, um, uh, I would say exercise that we thought we had mastered in training, you know, for testing until these, you know, athletes showed up. And and essentially, it's been I've, I've had lessons of athletic humility for the last twenty five years, to be honest, because <laughs> uh, you know this is the story of my. So when people ask me what I do, I say I like to do things as opposed to <laughs> I'm good because I've learned my many many times. Some of the, athletes, the tr- runners that I used to run with used to joke that in order to get their heart rate up running with me, they had to hold their breath. That summarizes. <laughs> Their level of fitness versus mine. Well, and they're also competitive as well, right? So it's like they're only going to lay it on. Oh, I thought I was competitive until I ended up hanging out with these, you know, athletes. <clears throat> I'll tell you, okay, an embarrassing story. I'm in Portland, mountain biking, you know, on a, you know, on a grade. It's not very uphill until I see someone, a runner, you know, passing me. And I'm like, I'm on a bike. You know, like, how is that possible? Well, it was just Paul Radcliffe doing a light run you know, running, a, you know, a 550, you know, a mile pace, you know, on an uphill. And I could not even keep up with her on a bike. That summarizes, you know, my experiences, you know, for the last 25 Yeah, I just, I don't even know, because I, I haven't been exposed in the vast majority of sports to athletes of that caliber. So it's kind of weird to even think about what that would be like to witness, right? Like, what is it like to watch somebody run, you know, a five minute, four minute mile? Like, that's, I don't know. Um, the, the thing that for me, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the best athletes in the world and I've learned a lot, you know, from, uh, working with athletes. Cause, um, I would say the, the, the three key, you know, I would say, um, defining, um, uh, personalities of, of these elite athletes is first their mindset. They're in constant search to improve themselves. So like Kobe, Brian had a, personal trainer to train his feet because he understood that being injured started with his feet so when we launched the free uh footwear platform kobe was one of the very first athletes that got into that platform because he understood the importance of training and training specific part of his body when you think the only other thing that to me is always amazes me about athletes is um they their competitive nature is such they're mostly competing against themselves. So every time there's a victory, they celebrate for half a nanoseconds, and then they're on the next thing. Yeah. Their, you know, their re- you know, resilience is amazing, particularly when it comes to, you know, like uh, adversities, whether it's injuries or defeat. How they spring back from these setback moments has always been very inspiring to me. Um, you know, it was interesting when we were working on the, uh, the first Olympics that I worked on, the Beijing Olympics, one of the challenges was to get the U.S. basketball team to care. Mm-hmm. They had not won you know, like on the global stage since the dream team with Michael yep. Jordan. And, uh, and we needed to get LeBron, Kobe, all these superstars to actually care. And it was interesting to see how Coach K rallied them around a common goal and how the team came together. And the rest, you know, is, is history, as they say, because since then we've seen what, you know, the the, the U.S. basketball team performance has been. But it's been really inspiring for me to work with athletes because I've taken a lot of these lessons and applied them to the business and my personal life, you know, as well. Well, and you talked about with the North Face, you have athletes that are not only competing against injury, but are, you know, they're in life-threatening situations at times. And it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's just not a it's not a risk that the vast majority of us face on a day to day basis, right? And so, yeah, it's uh, you're right. the 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 amazing things about working for the North Face is the gear that we make protect and save our athletes' lives. Yeah. So when it comes to innovation and the testing, it's a whole different level from what I've been used to. And the amazing thing about you know our you know our athletes at the North Face is when you talk to them, they talk about the fact that they're in constant risk assessment and management. When you're climbing a mountain as an alpinist, as a climber, as a as an you know a, a big mountain skier or snowboarder, you're in constant evaluation of your surrounding to measure the percentage of risk that you're willing to take in order to get to you know to your objective which lead to an incredible amount of preparation. The level of preparation that these athletes, what they pack and what's the approach, and also the, their, their ability to make life decisions, you know, uh, instantly based on the risk assessment that they have has been quite inspiring uh, and daunting at times as well, because their, you know, their brain is constantly working, Yeah, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to, to check their surroundings. And, uh, and for us, obviously, it's it's led to, you know, not only a, a really, really <clears throat> high level of testing for the gear that we produce, because what we don't want is for our athletes to think about their gear or to be cold yeah. or to be worried about cold, because hypothermia, when you're, you know, at an 8,000 meter, you know, peak, you know, and it takes you two weeks to go back to base camp is, is not an option so that they can focus on what they do. So. Uh, it's um, you know this the level of preparation of outdoor athletes and the risk that they're exposed with is definitely uh, at a at a whole different level. Yeah, it seems like your background has a unique or an interesting blend of kind of you know obviously the product, the team building, the marketing, but then also the technology, right? Like I know that for you, I mean, like I personally use the Nike running app, right? When I was running and I thought that that was really cool. And the innovation you had with the Apple watch and all those kinds of things. Talk to me about that, you know, the impact of that specifically on that, that women's division before we start diving into to the North face. Um, how did that come to be? And then what, um, yeah, I'd just love to hear a little bit more about it. Yeah. You know what, what's interesting is, if you look at, you know, you have to, you know, to, to go back to, you know, uh, the beginning of the century, like the year 2000 and 2000, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, three, really, when we, we started to work with Apple, what we saw is that, uh, and I was, you know, at, at the time I was leading the women's division on the marketing side globally and working on the Olympics. And then from then I transitioned to running because during the Olympics, uh, <clears throat> we started to work with Apple around this idea of, you know, like a, a community around running. And there's two key observations that we saw at the time. The first one is the average marathon finisher in North America, you know, was finishing a, a marathon in an average of four hours and 30 to four hours and 45 minutes. So most runners were not elite runners that were, you know, running a sub six minute mile pace. They were running an eight, eight and a half minute mile pace. They were everyday runner. The second thing that we saw is most runners were running with music. But at the time, running with music at a marathon would disqualify from finishing the marathon. What? You know, like you were disqualified. <laughs> and so, and, and the third element that we saw is this influx of, 
you know, 60% of, of finishers in marathons were female runners. And when we talk to, you know, to, to, you know, female running community, their code and their definition of what running meant was very different from what the industry was looking at. At the time, it was all a quest about beating the Japanese brand through traditional, uh, very meat to light type of product. And, you know, the, the consumer base that we were talking to wanted more color, wanted more comfort. They also wanted product they could wear before and after running. They had to look good and also perform, which led to a complete revolution in running. And Nike Plus came from that insight. Let's let people run with music. People, runners like to log their miles. They had like, you know, paper, like, you know, like physical logs. So the would allow you to log, you know, like and record all your mileage. And then the other thing the app did is we ended up gamifying the app. We created challenges, we created goals. And around the Beijing Olympics, we created what we call the human race. We wanted 1 million people to run on the same day. We organized 35 races around the world on the same day, a week before the end of the Olympics, so that all Olympic athletes could come and race. And we used the Nike Plus platform to get half a million people to run on the same day and run for charity. And that was the beginning of challenges as well, gamifying. Uh, and, and I would say the rest is history because when I left, we had over 150 million people on the platform. And the data that we had around the runners, knowing how they run, when they run, the insight that led to product creation based on running behavior and activity completely changed, completely changed the industry. It was a really exciting ride to be part Yeah, it, what's fascinating for me is that, you know, that obviously it was a marketing investment, or at least, you know, you were within that division. And it just seems like the vast majority of times, like that's not the way that people are thinking about marketing, right? Like that, I mean, you built like a very, what would be independently a very valuable technology platform, right? Like, and uh, it's just like super impressive that you guys were able to do that within a brand and then to have it have the success that it had. And also, you know, you've, you've mentioned in other interviews, you know, how much time you spend kind of observing consumer behavior using either data, research, et cetera. Um, what, what other, what are some of the other paths you use? I mean, you've mentioned Google searches, like what are, what are some of the ways that you do your own consumer research or is most of it just observation? When we used to travel, you know, firsthand, uh, you know, observation in store, you know, and, you know, in key, in key events and races was always invaluable for, for our teams in general, the product creation team, the innovation teams, the marketing team, because you, it allows you to understand how consumer actually use your, your experiences and it exposes clear pain points that you might have not thought about. Now, of course, with, you know, you know, the, the, the digital, digital tool that we have right now, we have great ways to actually, you know, and track people in their journey, you know, whether they're in store or online or in our platforms to understand what they're interested in, how they're engaging with platform and, and when, when are they, you know, and what are the pain points that we have? So you mentioned, obviously trends like, you know, the Googles it's this one, you know, this is always for me, a useful one to understand macro mm -hmm. trends, you know, like we talked, you know, like how to start running was, you know, at the time, you know, like there was over, over a billion search, you know, between Europe and the U.S. around how to start running. There was an influx of new runners that didn't yeah. know how to run. So we created, you know, and experiences to help onboard new runners. Um, how to improve your run. What shoes should I wear? In the world that I live today with the North, you have a lot of these questions on how to climb, how to camp, what to pack, 
So that's one element. I think another element is really paying attention to uh, the consumer journey of the communities that you serve and, uh, and try to um, be proactive in understanding what information they would need at what time. A good example for me is when you start thinking about camping, consumers in the world of camp, you know, in, in the world that I live in, start thinking about camping in February mm-hmm. or March. The weather is camping friendly, but that's when they're starting to really do their thinking. Traditional brands really talk about camping in May, June, and July. Mm-hmm. But by then, consumers have pretty much made up their choices on what they want to do and the brands they want to work with. So thinking and understanding your consumer journey and, and, and the timing at which um, uh, you want to show up to maximize you know, the added value you can bring to their experience has been pivotal in a lot of the experience that I've had to really match what consumers expect with what brands can offer. Absolutely. I mean, I can tell you from my own personal experience on the running side, I, uh, you know, I grew up playing sports, but actually didn't like running because it was punishment, right? So you, you know, you get in trouble, you run a lap, right? You get a, you know, run a mile, whatever. And so, uh, so I actually didn't like it, but I started using the app and, you know, honestly, I just didn't know how to run. Right. And it, it told one of the, so I went through one of the coaching sessions and it was like, I want you to run slow, right? Take it easy. Like I want you to finish this run and want to go on the next run. And anyways, just went through this progression and it totally changed my perception of the, 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 the sport in general. And so, uh, yeah, I just love that. I, and I love that you talked about it in a few different ways, but this idea of just like, what is the question that the consumer is trying to answer, right? Like starting with that, like you've taught, you've used questions as a way to like, how do I do this? What should I use? Um, it's just a really interesting framework for then saying like, and then how do I help them answer that question in the right place at the right time, you know, in the right uh, format? Yeah, I know, I love it. Um, so let's let's jump into the North Face a little bit, right? So when I was looking at the data for the North Face, you guys saw a massive spike during your Gucci collaboration, right? So the collaboration with Gucci. You also mentioned the collaboration that you did with Supreme. Um, you know, is that mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about this idea of brand collaboration? Again, you talk about Nike and Apple, right? Um, that seems to be something that you invest in quite heavily. Is that something that has been increasing over time for you? Is it kind of stable over time? And what is it about those kind of brand collaborations that you seem to be attracted to? Yeah, sure. So one of the unique things about the North Face is that it's probably the only outdoor brand right now, like I would say one of the very few athletic brands like Nike and Adidas that has a really strong performance mm-hmm. anchor as an outdoor outdoor brand, but also has, you know, a, a deep resonance with street and, and youth culture. Um, it, it started, you know, in New York uh, in the 80s, you know, with a lot of musicians and artists using North Face outerwear product to frankly survive yeah. the winter. You know, in New York, that created that deep connection. And so when you look at collaboration, my belief has always been that a successful collaboration is a collaboration that needs to align the company's values while adding new dimensions to both companies. So. The North Face has a long history of collaboration. And when I joined the team, one of the things we wanted to do is to be very careful about how we would approach collaboration moving forward, to reduce the number of partners, to increase the quality and the depth of relationship. Supreme and North Face have been collaborating for years 
It's a really symbiotic, you know, relationship. We work really well with that team. They understand the brand. They're curators of the brand, uh, you know, which has been uh, always really fun, to, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, to to leverage. I think, you know, when it come, we came to Gucci and when we started to you know, connect with Gucci, the first question was, why would the brand work together? Do we have this, you know, do we have common values? And uh, it was really exciting. And I know Robert uh, Trifus was, you know, was with you, yeah. you know, recently as well. You know, Robert, um, I've done an incredible job at uh, bringing, you know, a Gucci dimension to, you know, a North Face dimension. Clearly, the North Face is an outdoor brand. We care, you know, obviously a lot about the environment and sustainability. Gucci has really high standard around sustainability as well, which was quite exciting. And then, obviously, our brand and our mantra is never stop exploring. It's about bringing new people into the world of exploration. And, uh, you know, the Gucci team took that inspiration through the lens of creativity, but also in, you know, in celebrating and bringing new people into the world of the outdoors. So the collaboration, you know, we felt the values were really aligned. Then it became about, okay, what stories do we tell? And, and with, with Gucci, it was, you know, the first collaboration and campaign that we did. What we ended up doing is going back to the archive of some of our very first product ever created in the 70s you know, in the very first catalog that we did. And uh, Alessandro, you know, their creative director, really liked that 70s, you know, authentic, you know, camping vibe and took these iconic original product from the North Face and added the, the magic, you know, uh, um, yeah. twist to it. So much so, even if you think about uh, what we did with, you know, the, 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 the soundtrack uh, of, uh, of the film that was created, the Credence Clearwater Revival was actually the band that their studio was, their rehearsing studio was right next to North Face's very first store oh. in Berkeley. And they were, you know, you know, coming and performing in the store. And so it was a beautiful exercise of curations to celebrate the two brands coming together and celebrating the, the history of the North Face with a fresh perspective from Gucci. And I think it's important when we do collaboration that the two brands have similar values have, you know, common objectives and, you know, and expand from each other uh, reach as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting to observe as well, you know, cause we pay a lot of attention to these collaborations, right? Because we have actually been seeing them increase in frequency and impact overall. And one of the things that Robert talked about in his interview was that, you know, when he meets with a publisher now, he goes, guys, I love you, but we might, we're actually a bigger publisher than you are now, right? Like Gucci, the brand has a larger footprint as a publisher than almost all publishers in the world. Similar thing for the North Face. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a fascinating topic to see how that changes over time, right? Um, yeah, it, the, the world of publishing is really interesting. In the, in the, in the, in the world of, um, of outdoors, obviously the ability for us to reach our community directly based on the platform that we have is quite significant. You know, uh, to uh, Robert's point, we, uh, we can go directly and in mass with, with consumers very effectively. We believe that publishing is still very important for us, particularly when it comes to reaching very specific communities, you know, that, uh, and, uh, that uh, are focused on one specific activity or, uh, or, um, or environment as well. So we think that it's, uh, you know, the publishing world is, 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 is con going to continue to be really important for us. But we do have now the ability to engage with our consumer one-to-one -one at scale 
based on the platforms and the reach that we have, which is, is which is making the media landscape very dynamic and, and yeah, exciting. it's this weird blend of like publishing, customer service, community building. Um, and again, the ability to connect just directly with your customers in a way that you couldn't previously. Um, it's fa- I mean, there's a reason I'm in, in the industry. So, um, so let's talk about while we're on this topic of publishers, another area that I think you've got very unique insight on is this concept of the kind of athlete, athlete influencer, right? So obviously you've been working with athletes for a very long time before they were publishers themselves. And now they're in a position where they as well are some of the biggest publishers in the world. Um, how has that, has that increased the importance of those investments for you, you know, both across both brands that you've seen? Um, and maybe how has that changed the landscape in terms of, does that influence who you decide to work with as well? To say, okay, they're a fantastic athlete, but they also have you know, an audience of five and a half million people. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about that a little bit. Yeah, I think the world of influencer has been uh, evolving so fast and so dynamic. I would look at it in, in a few different parts. First, you know, yeah. on the athletes, right? I think the, the for the North Face or for Nike, but, you know, speaking about the North Face, I've always played a massive role in, in a few elements. First, they're the best at their at their craft, and therefore they their expectation around product is at the highest level. If it works for them, or if we provide solutions for them, it's going to influence the rest of the community. I'll give you an example. When the North Face launched this future light technology, which is a nano spinning technology that uh, provides full waterproofness, but very, very high breathability. Because traditional mem- 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 membranes like you know uh, that you see in the marketplace create a trade-off. It's either very waterproof yeah. or it's breathable. Yeah. It's not both. And our clients are basically saying after an incredible climb, you know, uh, you know what? It would have been great if I had a jacket that could skin that could breathe as hard as I do. Because as a climber, when you're hot, you take it off, then you put it back on and off and on, and you have to put your backpack and you know and uh, you know check your safety. So it's mm-hmm. very inefficient, and that, that innovation, which has you know changed completely how we even design product. You know, for everyday consumers, because now you have product, you don't need to layer as much. You know, your breathability means you're not going to sweat mm-hmm. inside. So working always been really important. Now, what we see is uh, athletes, as you said, influencer on their own and have their own brands and, and channels to manage. So it's been really fun and exciting to actually provide support and guidance to our athletes to help continue to develop their brand. And during the pandemic, when everybody was stuck inside, we actually relied heavily on our athletes to create their own content. Because again, our consumer were asking us, how do you deal with confinement? If you're a climber and you're on an expedition, you're gonna be confined in a very tiny you know, spot, you know, in your tent, on a cliff for yeah. weeks at a time. How do you deal with confinement? So it led to you know, incredible content that we've created. How do you stay fit you know, when you cannot get outside? These were insights that uh, <clears throat> that uh, were asked to our athletes, and we created an amazing amount of content, you know, to uh, reach our community while we were all stuck inside. So there is, but there, but the world have changed because you have now, you know, through you know specific social platform, self-proclaimed influencers that are expert in their field, whether it's you know climbing, mountain 
you know, like setting up tents, you know, <laughs> shoe reviews. Uh, and it's been really interesting to actually identify one that we want to authentically create a connection with to work with them uh, because they are influential in their own right. You know, they have, you know, a massive amount of followers because they spend a lot of time thinking about the content based on the activities that uh, they feel they have an expertise in. So that world is, is very dynamic and is changing all the time. We will continue to invest in athletes and invest in also supporting their storytelling. You know, we have millions of views around what we call how-to videos, tutorial videos during the pandemic, how to climb. I show up in the gym. I don't know what to do. Well, now the gyms are closed. How to camp. I want to go camping, but yeah, I've actually yeah, never yeah. done it. You know, what do I, pack? you know, like pack when you go camping, you know, like I want to go hike, but like for how long, what do I wear? You know, um, and these are, you know, uh, experiences that uh, we leverage uh, our athletes in their garage. We filmed in their garage, wear their own phones, you know, you know, incredible content that had millions of you and creating more following. So it's very, it's a very dynamic environment and one that I think is, is gonna continue to be pivotal for any marketeers that wants to connect authentically with their community because you, know, you trust a friend's recommendation way more than you will trust a brand when it comes to you know, like product uh, recommendation. And that's, that's why we have to continue to earn these authentic connection with the right Answers. Yeah, I mean, we've seen authenticity, long-term relationship building, all these things be at the center of success, whether it's with uh, an extreme athlete, someone with a large YouTube following, or somebody who's just getting started but has a community that really trusts them. And so it's great to hear that that's something that you found to be successful as well. Um, do you kind of separate internally you know, the athlete team versus the kind of social influencer team, or are they, are they blended? The, I would say the words are colliding yeah. more and more, but there's still some very specific in the world we're in our sports marketing team have to seek to sign and to serve athletes in a way that is very specific to their needs. Again, when we have athletes right now planning or uh, some expedition in, on, on Everest, the, the planning and the requirement around the gear and the support is very different from, you know, what everyday activities in the outdoors will be. But when it comes to engaging in their platform and content creation, that's where the lie. And this is where our digital content team gets very involved in working not only with our elite athletes, but with a lot of influencers to provide content and often creating bridges for them to connect with each other as well, because the beauty about athletes is they're, they're people first and they go through the same hardship and setback. As I was telling you, you know, like I'm um, working with some of the best athletes in the world. Um, they go through the same setback, you know, you know, highs and lows that we all go through. Uh, and so it, you know, and particularly outdoor athletes are extremely relatable and personable. And so, you know, creating these bridges have proven to be really, really powerful. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, before we get into kind of a final end of show fun question, um, there's one other thing that stood out. So it seems like for you kind of mentorship and, you know, ultimately leadership, but I think mentorship more specifically is something that you've invested in pretty heavily and something that you take pretty seriously. Um, where did that kind of passion for mentorship come from? And then what is your approach as a leader, right, to, you know, helping somebody, right? Like, 
and be as tactical as you can, right? Like what are the very specific things that you're doing, um, you know, that help them? Cause it seems like you've, you've had that impact on, on a lot of people. Well, yeah, I, I think I would say for me, it, it started with my, um, it started with my parents and coaches, uh, you know, growing up that, you know, gave this, um, sense of confidence and support uh, in helping me achieve goals that I didn't think sometimes were even possible for me to achieve. You know, I remember I spent a lot of time doing martial arts growing up and, uh, and my martial arts coach, you know, asked me to do things or trusting me to do things yeah. that I didn't even think I could do, you know, until, uh, until, um, until I would do them and I would fail and he would show me again. And, and then all of a sudden I could, I could do them. And in my, in my, um, in my career, uh, particularly through the, the rapid growth of Nike, I've experienced many different roles. You know, I started in sports marketing, sign, signing athletes. Then I was a shoe dog. Then I became a product, uh, a brand leader and at the highest position. And then I run divisions. And throughout the, my career, what was always inspiring is, is watching how giving people opportunities to do things and try new things. Even if they're not expert in their things, the company was growing so fast and it was a belief of the company is something that I've always taken with me. It's not because you started in one division or department that you have to stay in that department or division. You know, it's always about where is it that you want to go and how can I help you get there? You know, and so and I've, I've had multiple roles in my career because I've always loved to learn, learn from experts in different fields and soak up as much as I could to apply it in my field. And so that's what I always try to do with, with the team that I work around. I always start with, what is it that you want to do? And I always love that question because th the answer is typically within a two to three year horizon. And I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not talking about that. Where do you tell me like 10 years from now, do you want to be the president? Do you want to be the CEO? And it, and, and it often I get a reaction, which is, whoa, like, do you think I could? And I'm like, I think you could. Do you think you could? Okay. And then from then the conversation changes. Okay. So what is interesting to you? What would be, you know, exciting to you? And let, let me create pathways for you to have these experiences. Cause I truly believe that as a leader, you're only as good as uh, your ability to really work effectively with teams. And I also think that if people feel appreciated and if, if people feel like there's a vested interest in their development, you're going to get the best out of them and get the highest retention. It always works for me. I've always been inspired by, you know, the bosses and mentors that have done that with me and with others around. And that's, that's what I try to emulate, you know, as much as I can. That's the best <laughs> job to me. You know, it's funny. People, like you said, they don't think long enough term on this stuff. Like, I'm a huge fan of thinking in decades, not in years, right? Like, what do you want to accomplish over the next 10 years? And really saying like, and it kind of puts it into perspective that like, you have multiple blocks of 10 years left, right? Like, I still have another three decades of work to do or four decades, right? What can I accomplish in four decades? Like that's a lot of time. Um, so that's really cool that you challenge people in that way. Um, okay. So let's do one fun end of show question. So, you know, it seems as though you are quite the collector. So you do seem to like to collect uh, different items. So I'd love to hear about what is the item that you've gone to the greatest lengths to acquire or to, to, to collect. Um, so what is the item? And then what was that, what was that, uh, jury like? Ooh, 
you know, this is, this is one of my derailers. I love product and I love, I love things that are related to, uh, to a, a part of, of my life that is interesting. So you can see in my background, I collect, uh, you know, comic books. I collect yeah. also toys, uh, toys, you know, from, from me growing up and a few of these, uh, you know, I collect sneakers and I collect, you know, jackets. I would say the, the, the most precious one is, is probably one that uh, is related to um, uh, a Nike experience around uh, the Breaking 2 event. I don't know yeah. if you remember that event. Essentially, it's working with athletes like uh, Elliot Kipchoge. The idea was to see if a, a runner could run a marathon mm. under two hours. And, uh, and there was a, a, a question as to whether it was humanly possible. And if whether athletes would actually expose you know themselves to health issues yeah. or potentially death, so I would the team that helped not only create you know an incredible technology that is, has changed the, the the face of running with the Vaporfly four percent like a new foam with a new carbon fiber plate, and then we worked with three athletes, we put them on um, a course uh, a Formula One racing course in Monza. You know, it, it was like launching a rocket. The, you know, the temperature had to be perfect. The wind had to be perfect. It was not sanctioned by the, you know, by the uh, running community because we had pacers. The pacers were all Olympic, you know, medal athletes that were rotating to pace these three athletes. And we had a, a test line in front of it, you know, that, you know, like marrying the tents. As you can tell, any, any collection uh, or collecting item yeah, has yeah. a story, right? And... Elliot Kipchoge, and, and and by the way, it was a big media event. We actually had on Twitter more followers, 17 followers, 17 million followers, more than during the Super Bowl final. And it was an really early morning because it was in Italy. So, you know, the time schedule was screwed up. And we had 99% failure rate. Yeah. We knew that we would fail. But we were like, if we can just get close, how inspiring that would be. Long story short, two of the first athletes break out after the first <laughs> 10 miles. We're like, oh, dear. And Eliab Yogi is the last one doing it. The you know I'm on the pit with the pacer. The pacers are more nervous than when they were racing for the Olympics. They're like, we cannot fail. <laughs> we got to keep up with this guy. Long story. Long story short, he, he fails by you know oh my 40 gosh. seconds, and he basically completely changed the perspective because when he crossed the finish line, he said, "I am, I, you know, I'm opening the doors because I am just." 40 seconds like, short this is of running under two hours. Now, and then, of course, the year later, he ran it again and did it under two hours, right? And then since then, it's like the mile. The mile record was broken once, and then he got broken many, many times right after. And why do I tell you this? Is because we made two shoes for Elliot, you know, around that time, and he gave me one of them. So the, the second pair that, you know, he ran with, that he trained with, he gave to me. So that is very special because... You know, Elliot is an incredible inspiration of humility and human potential. But I could keep you for <laughs> ages in telling you about, you know, it's a real right, problem. It's a good problem to have. Well, uh, Steve, I really appreciate you taking out the time. I know I learned a lot today and had a lot of fun. And I'm sure everybody else will, too. And uh, good luck uh, with the North Face and with everything else you have coming up in your career. And uh, thanks again for taking out the time. It was It was awesome. Thank you so much awesome. for having me. Bye, I really enjoyed it. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. 
Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribedynamics.com. Tribedynamics.com.